0: Welcome to the Tax Girl podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips or for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. There are important tax changes coming This summer for families, specifically, the child tax credit will enable families to get advanced payments. This is a change from prior years where the credit was calculated and paid out at tax time. The credit isn't a new credit. It's an enhanced credit as part of President Biden's American Rescue Plan signed into law in March. The purpose of the credit is to help lift families out of poverty. But like many tax provisions, it can be complicated. To sort it all out, I've asked Elaine Mogg and Professor Francine Lippmann to the show. Elaine is a principal research associate at the Brookings Institution Tax Policy Center, where she studies income support programs with a particular interest in how tax policy supports low- and middle-income families. She is a member of the Tax Policy and Poverty Research Network and a member of the National Academies of Social Insurance Panel on Assured Income. Professor Francine Lipman teaches tax courses at the Boyd School of Law, UNLV. She has previous experience as an accountant, a lawyer, a teacher, and a scholar. Professor Lipman is an elected member of the American Law Institute, the American College of Tax Counsel, and the American Bar Foundation, and an editor and former committee chair for the tax section of the American Bar Association. Thank you both so much for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me. Yes, it's great to be here. Thanks. Super. So let's
0: jump right in. Can one of you explain what is new about the credit? Like, how is it different from the credit that we know and love from before?
1: Sure. The credit changes in three ways how it's calculated. And then there's a big change in how it's going to be delivered. The first change is the credit would be fully refundable. That is even very low income families receive the full value of the credit. That's a real departure from the prior iteration of the credit, which required you to have a minimum level of earnings. That's the most significant change for very low-income families. The second thing that happens is 17-year-olds are now considered children. Prior to that, they were excluded from the credit. And then the third thing in the calculation is that the credit's going to be bigger. It used to be $2,000 per child, and now it'll be $3,600 per child under age six or $3,000 per child ages 6 to 17, the change in how it's delivered is that rather than getting the tax credit at tax time when you file your tax return, you're going to start receiving it as early as July 15. You'll get half of your credit this year and the remainder of your credit when you file your tax return. So what happens
0: for people who don't file tax returns? Because this is something that I know is already coming up and the IRS has sort of addressed this, but what about those families that don't traditionally file a return?
1: That's an excellent question. If you filed a return in 2019 or 2020, the IRS has your information and they'll use that to deliver the credit. If you applied for a stimulus payment via the online tool, which was a simplified return, the IRS has your information and they'll use that. And you'll know they have it because they probably already sent you a letter indicating they'll be paying, they'll be making these payments. If you haven't had contact with the IRS, though, you're going to need to make contact. And they just put up a portal online that's a simplified return that allows you to apply for the child tax credit by providing a minimum amount of information. And
0: that's similar to what folks were doing for the stimulus check as well. So it's not, I know sometimes people are a little nervous about going to the IRS if they don't have a lot of interaction with them before. But it's very, very similar to the portal that was introduced so that folks could get their stimulus checks, right?
1: That's exactly right. Although it can be confusing, as we all know, with tax returns. And so I am hoping that there are some VITA offices still open that can help people walk through these. And there's also a toll-free line that the IRS will be running, a telephone line. And that could also provide another level of support to people that might be intimidated or confused.
0: And in terms of the advanced monthly payments, I'm, I know you mentioned earlier that you can get, you know, half of it now. Do we know? And, and the answer may be no. Do we know what will happen if those payments don't start, but you're entitled to them? Is the only way that you're going to be able to catch up is to file at tax time or, or has that even come up in discussions yet?
2: So I actually have read about this a bit, and I just want to let everyone know out there that the IRS has not only started this portal for non-filers, but it also has just posted on the irs.gov website, I think it's 60 Q&A, so frequently asked questions with the answers on its website. And what's nice about the IRS knows people have questions about this. So if you go to irs.gov, it's on the main page. And so you'll see a link saying questions about the advanced child tax credit. And so you can just click on that. They've got, as I said, about 60 questions with answers done in a a really user-friendly manner. What is interesting about, Kelly, what you just asked is that if you read the Q&As, you'll see that the IRS really seems to be describing that it's going to be very interactive in that let's suppose you haven't filed your 2020 tax return yet, and by filing the 2020 tax return, you will qualify. For this credit. Let's just suppose a child was born in 2020, and Mm -hmm. that would be new information. The IRS is then going to start these payments based upon that filing, or if your income has been reduced so that now you qualify for the advanced child tax credit, they'll start making that payment. So it looks like it's going to be pretty interactive. And uh, just to that same issue, the IRS has indicated they're going to start a separate portal for people to update their information. Oh, wow. So if your bank account number changes, if you're, if you're expecting your income to go up so that you should no longer qualify, you can update that. You can opt out of getting the payment or let's suppose you claim some children in 2020, but your former spouse is going to claim them in 2021. You can update the IRS and it appears they're going to try to be very dynamic with these payments.
0: And let's talk about that for a minute in terms of potential problems, because I expect that that's going to be the, the thing that you just <laughs> mentioned a minute ago, the claiming of the children. I think that that's going to be a real concern for a lot of taxpayers this year, because I know that this was an issue um, with respect to stimulus payments, like who gets to claim the child, so who gets the check and is that fair? And what if the check goes to the wrong place and do I have to pay it back? Has the IRS signaled how they're going to handle those disputes? Because I know for a stimulus check, kind of the idea was that because it was meant to be so quick that they sort of let it go, right? So if you and your spouse both got a check for your child, it wasn't there wasn't a clawback. But this is a little different because of the credit. So do we think that the IRS is going to handle this via what shows up on the return they're just going to make the adjustment have, i know there's a little bit of a safe harbor but have they talked about this with respect to how they're going to handle children of divorce or is that something that is still coming out in terms of information
2: well it's complicated right elaine i agree <laughs> it's co- we can all agree it's complicated so the irs is
1: going to administer this credit in some ways exactly like they've always administered you Get a credit for the whole year. So children, even if they're moving around, will ultimately land on one tax return. (laughs) And that tax return is the one that's going to be eligible for the credit. And if you hadn't received payments, then you'll get the full credit when you file the tax return. And if you've received payments, you'll get what's coming to you that's left. Now, if you errantly received payments, whether by you know accident or just a pure surprise. If your income is under $40,000 and you're a single parent, you're probably going to be fine. There's a safe harbor provision in the legislation that allows you to receive up to $2,000 per child as an errand payment. After $40,000, if you're a single parent, safe harbor gets much smaller until it's completely gone once you have $80,000 of income. So there's going to be a fair number of people that are this upper middle income group and they will be having to pay the credit back when they reconcile their taxes. Now, it might just mean they get a smaller refund if they're eligible for other tax benefits, or it might mean they're writing a check to the IRS.
0: And that would be a reason to opt out if you knew you were one of those people, right?
1: Yes, that would be what I would encourage people to do. If you find yourself receiving payments and you do not believe you'll have that child on your tax return, You should update your information as soon as possible with the IRS to make sure you don't end up getting a large overpayment that you're later on the hook for.
0: And I think this is something that is concerning taxpayers. And I understand that, you know, no legislation is perfect. So that's why we have the safe harbor. And that's why they're trying to get it out to people as quickly as possible. But I I do fear that there's going to be a lot of surprised taxpayers in next tax season, especially if they've made adjustments on a W-4 to accommodate the credit. So I wonder how much if the IRS is going to do a, a subsequent push in a few months to tell people to take a look at their pay stubs, to take a look at their bank accounts and, and to figure some of these things out so that they're not surprised come next February, March.
2: Well, it really is interesting. And while Elaine mentioned the threshold for single taxpayers, the threshold increases, not surprisingly, for married filing joint. But it doesn't go up to 80000 which you might expect, right, double. It only goes up to 60000 for the safe harbor threshold for married filing joint taxpayers. Now, if we think about the median income in the United States, it's a little bit higher than that, but not much. And for head of household, the threshold is fifty thousand. So I guess the good news is that for these non-filers, to the extent they get an excess payment, there will be no clawback. And for the vast majority of taxpayers, you know, not the middle to higher income taxpayers. Because of the way that Elaine described that safe harbor, it's up to $2,000 per child. And it's phased out down to zero, but on a pro rata basis. And it does seem to me, because these payments are starting in July, and you're only getting half the year. That most people should be okay. If I just try to kind of think of hypotheticals and do the math.
0: Yeah, we were running some of the numbers for an article, and uh, immediately I went to the full credit number, and I'm like, "But wait, if it's 36, and they were counting on 2,000, and now they have this W-2 that looks wonky." And so we were talking about it, and then someone pointed out to me, "It's it's half. It's only half." Yes. And I'm like, "Right. Like I think we keep forgetting that." Yes. Half of 2021, although it seems much longer, we're just starting in the middle. So it does make a difference.
2: Another thing I think uh, we should think about is this is for one year. And so a lot of these changes are just for 2021, because like you, Kelly, I was thinking about, what about next year? Well, these changes are temporary. And so if it is for a full year advance payment, there'll have to be some changes there. So I agree with you.
0: And why is it temporary? Obviously the point of this podcast that I want to get good information across, which I think we've done, but I also do want to talk a little bit about the policy behind it. Because two of the questions that, I, that people have been asking, why is it temporary? Like if the idea is to lift people out of poverty, can you do that in a year? And then my, my second related question, wasn't it just a bigger credit?
1: So we are in a moment of deeper hardship than normal. I think food insecurity among children, for example, jumped from 14% to almost 30% during the pandemic. So legislators saw a need to, you know, address this issue as quickly as possible. The vehicle they had was the temporary, you know, legislation that was only going to last one year. So that's what they did. So it can provide a lot of help right now. That's the rationale for sending the payments out in advance. We didn't want people to have to wait another tax season to get the benefit. But what I tell people about whether it ought to be temporary or not is that child poverty was a problem yesterday. It's a problem today. And it's going to continue to be a problem unless we take bold steps to reduce it. And so while it's wonderful to cut poverty in half today, we ought to be thinking about the future too. Because an investment in a child doesn't happen in just one year. It's across their whole lifetime. Have you heard any buzz about making it
0: or extending it, uh, making it more, you know, I don't want to use hedging on the word permanent because I know nothing's permanent in the tax world, but like,
1: has there been any buzz about maybe doing it for another year? So Biden's budget proposes extending it for uh, until 2025, which of course is, many of your listeners know, is when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act has some expiring provisions, Chairman Neal has proposed legislation that would extend it permanently. And I think even during the debates about, you know, leading up to the passage of the rescue plan, you know, certainly the Democrats made no secret that their intent was to keep this around and make it a permanent piece of our tax code. There's also a history of doing that with the child tax credit. It started out as this $400 non-refundable credit immediately jumped to $500 the next year and then has slowly expanded since then. And we've never actually retreated and gone back to prior levels, even when the changes were supposed to be temporary. There's been some,
0: when when people start talking about making things temporary or, or permanent, in terms of provisions for a purpose right like to eliminate poverty or to resolve issues during covid there's always a debate about you know is the tax code the right place to do that what do you think about that
1: so to get money out quickly the tax code was absolutely the right place to do it the only other agency that it seems imaginable to me that you would do it would be ssa but of course ssa doesn't have any information on the majority of children where they're living. And so it would have been a real administrative difficulty to figure out where all the kids are and where the checks should go to. The IRS, in contrast, has a lot of that rich information that they're able to use to deliver payments. And they were frankly quite successful with the uh, stimulus payments, which went out largely you know, to almost everyone who was eligible and they most people received the correct amount. So short term, the IRS makes a lot of sense. Long-term, I think it's a debate we ought to be opening up. Is this a spending program or is it a tax program? And there's different elements of both that make them desirable. So, for example, Social Security and spending programs can typically be more reactive to changes in circumstance. So, for example, if you receive SSI benefits and the child moves to another household, that benefit just moves to the other household tax system doesn't work that quickly, right? We're an annual resolution system, but the tax system has going for it is that almost everyone is already in the tax system and they're already claiming benefits and filing tax returns. So it's administratively a little bit simpler to just add on to an existing system.
2: What's interesting about using the tax system, as we mentioned earlier, the tax system we don't prorate things, right? So we don't prorate people. We don't prorate for the period of time you were married or unmarried. It's kind of a cliff, right? If you're married mm-hmm. on December 3st, 31st, by the way, come to Vegas and get married this year. December <laughs> 31st, we, we need more tourists who are welcoming you. Get married. And guess what? Your tree is married for the entire year right? A lot of people, when you step back from that, it's kind of curious, including the child tax credit, right? One of the q and A's kind of heartbreaking. It says, what if your child perished in 2021? Well, they still count, right? We don't prorate people, but as we all know, life isn't a calendar year. And mm-hmm. so if a child is in one household for some period of time, and the way we deal with that with the child tax credit is more than a hundred and, you know, more than half the year, right? In one household or the other. So it's a cliff. So it's really interesting, but I do have to applaud the IRS because as Elaine said, they've done a Herculean job and now Congress kind of crazy. Congress is asking them not only to deal with taxpayers, which is most of us, but also to deal with non-filers. And so so that's really unusual here. Um, Now, IRS is dealing with people who otherwise would be non-filers, and they've been doing a pretty good job, given that they are really underfunded.
0: Right. Absolutely. You guys know me on Twitter, like I'm very critical of the backlog, but I also understand that you can only do so much with what you have. I used to, I remember interviewing former IRS Commissioner Koskinen, and he used to say, like, the IRS is always being asked to do more with less. This is another example because this, there's been a lot of criticisms in the tax professional side about, you know, how could they get this portal up so quickly when they still can't process. Twenty eight forty eight some powers of attorney. And and it is a concern, I think, in the tax profession that we are asking the IRS to deliver things like these checks really quickly and we still aren't giving refunds. I, I think that that is going to become an issue, right? When we look at how to resolve some of these things that we've been talking about long term, I don't know that that's sustainable.
2: Absolutely. I agree. Right now, It's unbelievable. In fact, Commissioner Reddick said during testimony at one point earlier in the year, he wasn't sure they would be able to get these payments out by July 15, but here they are rising to the challenge again and again. They lifted up the Affordable Care Act. Congress has a very bad habit of changing the tax laws, what, at the end of December, right? (laughs) the middle of the night, basically, and then just saying, okay, here you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. So I would
1: put a plug in that part of this is because the tax code is so complicated. And yeah. so as we're thinking about moving forward with the child tax credit, it is essential that they think about administration issues and simplicity so that the IRS has a fighting chance. To deliver this on a long-term basis going forward. I think back to some of the provisions that were passed late, you know, this year, the EITC lookback provision, which required the IRS to hand process yes. something like 11 million returns because they needed to look back at last year's tax return. And so I really am encouraging who's ever controlling the strings on this to try and keep it as simple as possible. And another thing I think a challenge-wise is that the not
0: on the side of the IRS necessarily, but people are frightened of the IRS. And so I'm wondering, again, kind of long-term, how does that work in terms of getting non-filers and low-income people to register and to file in order to get the benefit of these credits? And I received a lot. I've talked about this a lot. I received over seven thousand emails on the stimulus payments, and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty insane. And it was largely based on a few articles that I wrote that got a lot of views. But it was when the original stimulus payments were coming out, the stimulus checks were coming out, and the IRS was originally not going to be going through SSA or or the VA to get those checks out. And so there were a lot of people who were concerned, like, how does the IRS find me, right? If I'm not in the system, kind of what we were talking about in the beginning. Do we think there is this fear of IRS? Do you worry about families? Are you concerned that there will be families that will be overlooked? Because there is this perception that the IRS is scary. Like we've talked about how the tax code is really complicated. Do we think that there might be people who are too scared? And so maybe this isn't going to be the best way for them to get their checks?
1: So it's true of all benefit programs that not 100% of people who are eligible actually participate. And when you compare IRS programs to other programs, participation is actually quite high with the IRS. Part of that is because most people are already filing a tax return. But I think you raise an interesting question with that marginal person, the person who's really outside the system. Can we realistically expect to bring them in? And from my view, that's just a question we're going to have to find the answer to as this tax season rolls on. Gotcha. And one of the questions, which I
0: honestly don't know the answer to, maybe it's in the FAQs. I did look at them, but I haven't read all of them. So this is a credit. So it would be resolved on a tax return or reconciled on a tax return. But you know, the, for the stimulus programs, they've actually made some exceptions for folks who owe taxes, that it can't be. Attached or taken the stimulus payments. Is this similar or is this going to function like it normally would? And the refund could be seized for if if you do owe taxes? Do you know?
2: So that is a great question. And I think for tax professionals out there who maybe are dealing with a little bit more sophisticated clients who or who have issues that are controversy issues that they're also dealing with. So the advanced child tax credit is not going to be offset by any amounts to the federal or state governments, including past child support. So that's similar to the economic impact payments. Mm -hmm. However, the FAQs do say, that if somebody already has a garnishment through their financial institution the federal government can't quash that although some financial institutions are you know working with their customers but if you file your return and you've got some credit coming because you didn't get it all in advance or you even opted out it can be offset with the tax underpayment. So if you owe taxes, and when you file your 2021 tax return in 2022, it can then be taken by the government.
1: Gotcha. So
0: kind of as a, I guess, a a wrap up. So the credit is going to be available, as you pointed out, with a cap, an income cap, depending on your filing status. It's going to be paid half in advance and then reconciled on the return Other than directing folks to the IRS website, are there any other resources that you can recommend for folks who might be struggling with what to do? I know we mentioned VITA early on. Are there any other resources that you can recommend for folks who might be a little worried about should they opt out or what else should
2: they know? It's always great to talk to your tax professional, right? Yes. your EA, your CPA, your tax attorney, have a conversation. I happen to be a CPA and practiced for a long time as a CPA before going to law school. And CPAs and EAs, and we've got a great community on Twitter, and I I love uh, tweeting with Kelly and others. It's a very dynamic, wonderful community. They love when you ask them questions before you know uh, the, a problem arises. So yes. not on April 15th or October 15th or <laughs> you know, whatever the extended deadline is, but ask and be patient if it's a busy season and have a conversation in advance so it doesn't become a problem later on. One thing I did want to mention about the FAQs Elaine and I and many others who are on the front lines of tax justice, we really want to get the word out here so that everybody gets these payments for these kids. It's kind of shocking that the poorest individuals in America are actually the youngest children. That really breaks your heart. And it should not be that way. But it's true. Social security benefits have lifted seniors out of poverty, but children still are the highest percentage of poverty. The FAQs have, and I I applaud the IRS, they have a, one of the FAQs, one of the questions says, how can you get the word out? And it has uh, some resources that you can use to help push the word out if you're maybe a a sociologist and uh, working with nonprofits to spread the word.
0: That's good to know. I'll I'll make sure that I uh, post the link to that on the show notes so that people can find it easily. Great. Well, thank you both so much for being here. I think this has been really useful. If folks wanted to find you and you wanted to be found either on (laughs) social media or on the web, where would you send them? And Elaine, I'll ask you first, where would you direct folks?
1: So Tax Policy Center's work is at taxpolicycenter.org, and I encourage people to go there. Or I'm on Twitter at Elaine Mog. Awesome. And Francine?
2: Well, I have a great bio website at UNLV, and that's just Google my name, Francine Lipman. But if you want to catch me on Twitter, and I hope you do, because it's a wonderful community, and we love having questions that we can all kind of throw out to Tax Twitter and and think about. We love puzzles, right? So I'm sure. So my handle at Twitter is Narf Nampo. And I bet you're wondering what the heck is a Narf Naple. Well, that is my name backwards. And that's what my dad since Father's Day is coming up. And I know Kelly has a great piece on tax fathers, tax professionals who are fathers. That's what my dad used to call me. So that's my handle.
0: (laughs) I love that. I didn't know that. I'm so excited (laughs) that I know that now. Thank you. And yes, I would I would encourage folks to go to hashtag tax twitter. It's really fun. And people do like answering questions and especially these tough ones like that come, uh, come around about things like divorce and, and child support. And I, I think that it's always fun to hear kind of people's thoughts on those things. So thank you both again for being here. I really do appreciate it. This has been tremendous. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you very much. And see you on tax Twitter.
0: Absolutely. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.